0: We're going to talk about community tonight. We're going to talk about community in a new series based on the Psalms. It's just going to be for the month of August, four Saturdays, Lord willing, and we're going to look at four different Psalms. But more on that in a minute. First, I'd like to have a show of hands, okay? Put yourself back in your headspace when you were a child, okay? For some of you, that may be easier than others. No, not looking in anybody's direction, Robert Vaughn. But some of you, it may be hard to think back when you were a kid. Others of you, maybe not. So you're thinking of yourself as a child. I want you to think of a very difficult moment or afternoon. I want you to think when nothing's been going your way. And I want you to think that your siblings, if you had them, are just at your wits end. And you think your parents are super lame. And I want you to imagine and tell me by a show of hands, did you ever have the impulse or thought that that's it, I'm running away? Show of hands. I think it's just part of being a kid growing up, okay? Next show of hands, how many of you rebellious individuals didn't just think or have that impulse, but you took the next step and you actually got your backpack or your satchel or your old, you know, broomstick with the bandana on the back. You threw your GI Joes or your Barbies or your Ninja Turtles, depending on when you grew up. You put it in there with some peanut butter sandwiches and you said, yeah, that'll be enough. And you decided you were actually going to go and you actually put feet on the street and you left. Show of hands. Wow, this is actually more people than I thought. So just, where did you go, you who raised your hands? Shout it out. Where did you run? What's up? Friend's house. That was my guess. Friend's house. Anybody? Where else? Down the street. How many of you didn't even make it out of the front yard or backyard? Anybody? No? Okay. Oh, Miguel. Okay, yeah. Because here's what. Here's why. Because Miguel knew... Somewhere deep down, the reason he couldn't make it out of the yard, he knew and his parents knew deep down Miguel or a runaway child could not make it without the family, right? So your mom's back there looking out the kitchen window, sipping coffee and says, he doesn't know geography in the Greyhound bus system. Where's this dude going? She knew and Miguel knew, I think we all know, even when we have that impulse, that we are not actually better off alone. That we are not actually better off alone. Because I think at a deep level, we need to understand that humanity was made for relationship. Humanity was made for community. And if you don't believe me, and if you're not even going to think Christian, think about people for all times in all places. What do they do? They get together together. They get together and they form families and tribes and nations. And this is just what we do because at a deep level, we know that we're made for community. Yes, even you, introverts. Yes, even you, people that say, but it's hard. Yes, my goodness, it's hard. Hello, raise your hand if it's hard to be in your family. If you're not raising your hand, it's because your family's here. I'm looking at you, Dorothy. It's hard to be in a family. It's hard to be a part of a community. But let me tell you this. It's worth it. Because what community does is it shapes us and it forms us. Now the shadow side of that is sometimes our families have deformed us. I don't want to minimize that. Sometimes our families deform us and devalue us. But what I'm talking about tonight when I say we're going to speak about community is that kingdom community, God-shaped community, forms us into the person God made us to be. It forms us into the person that God made us to be. There's going to be more on this in a minute. But this is why if you've been around our church long enough, you realize that we're really not about the big programs and buildings and all these nice little bells and whistles to go and do and play church. We really say we want to leverage everything we do on relationship. Relationship with Jesus, relationship with people. Do we serve and do stuff? Hello, you heard the 10 minute announcements today. Yes. But we leverage everything on people because community, kingdom community, forms us. More on that in a minute. Back to that impulse of us running away. As an adult, and this is not a show of hands, have you felt that impulse to run just like you did when you were a kid? When that new responsibility hits and you say, there is no way I can do it, I want to run. When that new job or your old job, you've had it up to here, and if your boss says this one thing one more time or if this coworker does this or if I don't get that, I'm out. Now we're getting close. How about difficult relationships I want to run from? And listen, I'm not talking about the obviously difficult relationships that you should run from right? I'm not talking about the obvious ones that are deforming you and are detrimental. I'm talking about the ones that we read about all summer in Embrace that are difficult and different because it, watch, causes you to perhaps give and receive forgiveness. The difficult relationships because you realize, oh wait, I'm very different from this person. The difficult relationships that have loads of baggage and history, Some things should be run from, but those kinds of things in many times should not be run from. Why? Because they form us and shape us, and God is in the midst of it. And so when we're tempted to go it alone, what do we do? As kids or as adults, when we want to run away, what do we do then with that impulse to leave community and go it alone? And tonight what we're going to spend our time doing is saying what we need is a reminder What we need is a reminder, and what we need is Scripture, because Scripture is the messy and beautiful record of God's love and mission for a bunch of people who can't figure out how to live in community with Him or others. So scripture is a record of God's mission to rescue these broke down people and renew all things. We need a reminder that our God is himself a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he could have done it on his own, but he chose to involve the community of humanity to go out and get more people in humanity to say, be reconciled to God. And we reconciled the world because Christ has done it Let go put it in effect. Scripture is a reminder, and even more, the Psalms are a reminder. We need a reminder that, one, you are not alone, and we need a reminder, number two, that God is not done. You'll see that in your handout there. We need to remember that you are not alone and that God is not done. So we're going to need this reminder through the Psalms. So if you look with me on your handout there, We're going to talk about the Psalms in this next month. The Psalms are the book of ancient songs and poems that have been a prayer book for God's people, both as an individual level and a corporate people of God community level for centuries. The Psalms remind us, hey, it's not just you. The Psalms are the prayer book. The second thing the Psalms are is they cover the whole scope of human emotion and experience. You have favorite songs, don't you? I'm willing to bet that some of those favorite songs are your favorites because they hit you in just that way at just that time and just that season of your life. And what the Psalms do is provide us this ancient poem that says, I've been angry too. And you see people laying it out in the Psalms. And you see people, you thought you were mad at your friends and your co-workers. Dude, these people are mad. These songs are heavy metal death psalms. But the psalms also have these glorious jubilant, oh, I'm so happy. But just saying happy doesn't give voice to it. So what do the psalms do? They cover that emotion and that scope as well. And for that reason, that there, this whole scope of human emotion and experience, the third thing I want to say about the Psalms before we begin this series and look at one tonight is that the Psalms, for that reason, are timeless. A lot of times when we read the scripture, we say, What on earth are they talking about? But that just means there must be something more going on here because if somebody read a poem or a song that you wrote today, a thousand years later, they would say, What on earth is this person talking about? What is a Chipotle? What is McDonald's? Let's be real, McDonald's will be here in a thousand years. We have to understand that though we miss some of the cultural references, the way they get at the world and lay it all out there is timeless, and it says, yes, I'm not alone. Someone feels this way and have felt that way too, and therefore it is universal, the Psalms, finally, give us permission to be real before God and others. We're not going to look at it this month, but Psalm 6, if you've got a Bible and you are already bored listening to me, you can go and thumb through it and look at it. You see David, who wrote that Psalm, who was a king and an awesome warrior, laying it all out there, and he says, every night I flood my bed with my tears. You thought you listened to some emotional music when you were teenagers, What David does, this man of stature and clout, he pours it all out there in Psalm 6, and then you know what? He gives it to the community. We have it in our Bibles right now, thousands of years later, as a diary and a window into the fact that even people who you think have it together don't, and it's okay. Because ultimately, in this series, you're going to see that every week in every Psalm, it reminds us that, hey, you're not alone. Someone has felt this way before. Someone has been there, done that, and let them walk alongside you. And the second thing is this. Every psalm has this undercurrent of hope that says, God is not done. God is not done. Tonight, you're mourning, and you're soaking your bed with your tears, but there's joy that comes in the morning. The psalms remind you of this. So what we're doing each week is... You're going to look in your bulletin at the different titles, Lord willing, we'll get to, and they don't look very positive. Next week is, what is a psalm for when we've blown it? Yay, let's spend 40 minutes talking about blowing it. No. But the thing about that psalm and all the others is, even when things are difficult, even if you don't feel it now, I bet you have or you will, and even in those moments, you need the reminder to say, hey, God is still at work in the mess. In fact, God loves to work in the mess. And so this is what we need reminding. The reason this is the last thing I'll say about this series as we set it up, and then we'll get into our psalm tonight and back to that temptation to go and run alone. One of my first Bibles had a section in it that said in the back, what to read when, what to read when I'm scared. What to read when I'm angry? What to read when I'm sad? And this is the spirit of this series we're in tonight. It's four psalms for four seasons that are beyond emotions, but they're the kinds of seasons that we don't talk much about, and they can creep up on us like a fog, and they can distort our vision, and they make us really feel like we are alone and God isn't working. No, tonight we need a reminder that you are not alone and God is not done. So the cloudy feeling and season that we're going to look at tonight is this impulse to run when stuff gets hard. This impulse to say, I can't do it, I'm done. Well, a reminder tonight, and you'll see it in the middle of your handout, a reminder in those moments the psalm gives us is this. When you want to go it alone, remember that you are made from community, for community, And then you are formed by community. Hopefully this is ringing in your ears as things I've said just a few moments ago. Do you know that God, in some infinite mystery, is himself a community? A community of love, of the Father who sent the Son to reconcile the world. And the Son sends the Spirit to enable more of this community to go and bring to bear the good news that Jesus is King, that you're invited in, despite all your warts, despite all your mess, you're welcomed in. The Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit. God is himself community. So we are made from and out of this community of Father, Son, Spirit. And because this is so deeply ingrained in the heart of God, who is Himself community, He put into our hearts as His image bearers this need to mirror and model that community as well. And so we're made for community, which is why when Miguel runs and he only makes it 15 feet to the backyard and he spills his Ninja Turtles out and says, oh, to heck with it, I'm just going to go home. It's because he was, (laughs) sorry, because he was ready and knew that he needed his community. We're made for community. And then when you stick it out and you go home and say, I need help, then you realize that you're formed by that community. So let's read Psalm 95 and spend a few minutes working through and being reminded again of this communal call when we want to go it alone. So let's read Psalm 95. It's on your handout. We're just going to spend a few minutes talking through it. Hopefully you get some reminders and insights along the way. But let's read through it, and I want you to grab a pen and do this. We're not going to stand. I want you to grab a pen, and I want you to do this. I want you to read this communal call to worship and I want you to circle or underline or box or whatever floats your boat every one of the communal words in this psalm. What I mean by communal words are us, our. Even if you want extra credit, look at the they's. And I'll give you another hint. Many times in Scripture we read the English word you... But you can base out of the context, it's the Texan version of y'all. So we can even count some U's in this psalm. Would you circle, box, underline these as you hear God's word, this communal call to worship from the psalm. Psalm 95, verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So come. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. But today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, or go it alone, perhaps. And they have not known my ways, so I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Notice how many communal words. Notice the major shift in the middle of that psalm. We're going to see as you read the psalms, they love to compare and contrast. And they love in this psalm to cut it off right there after verse 7 and say, what a beautiful, fun psalm this is. Let's just skip that nasty history lesson at the beginning. Did you notice that shift? How about the movement? Did you notice the movement that we're going to look at in just a moment? Somebody, did you see a lot of communal words in there? We, us, our. What this is is an invitation. So imagine a community of people, because it's not just that God wants to be in relationship with a person, and it's not enough just to be in relationship with you and God. It's me and God, and that's all that matters. No, 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 no. You cannot look at Scripture and see where that is the holistic expression of your faith. You've got to be in community because God himself is in community. You're formed for community, and community forms you. You see the usness of this. It reminds us that worship is one of our central actions together. How many people do you know, this is real talk now, How many people do you know have gone it alone and left the worshiping community? I was talking to some old friends last night who was even speaking of some of their friends, and they were saying, yeah, you know what? It's just, you know, they just stopped going to church. They got used to sleeping in, and and they just haven't been in, in years. Well, are they following Jesus? Well, yeah, and I said, well... Well, Jesus calls us to two relationships, a relationship with him and then with all the other people that aren't as cool as Jesus because it forms us and it shapes us. But look, man, if you hadn't been to church in a long time, let me tell you, I'm not going to browbeat you. I'm not going to say, get back in and come and I'm taking attendance every Saturday night. No, because the friends of yours who've left the worshiping community, if you were to ask them why, it may be a lot deeper and more hurtful than I just got used to sleeping in. And by the way, we gather at Saturday at 5, so if somebody can't wake up, they've got big problems. Here's why I think people leave the worshiping community. Hello, you just get hurt. Because you can get hurt in families, can't you? How many people who've left the worshiping community just get let down? Maybe it's not as... Sticky is like, oh, that hurts, and I'm stung, by betrayed by this person. Maybe they just thought this community is going to be different. This pastor is going to be different. This preaching is going to be different. This program is going to be different. This small group is going to be different. This is going to fix it. And you do what we do all the time is that we put people in place of God to be the fixer and the magic solution and the emergency room to all our problems. But the problem is that God won't let you down, but people always will let you down. And so this is the beautiful thing is that when Christ said, you are my body, he knew that the body is going to be broken and messy, but also beautiful because Christ is there in the midst. And I think it speaks to something where Christ is still at work, even in the brokenness, because I think that that makes it more of a reality that says, you know what? When I blow it, I can run to God and he still loves me. So when I blow it, would you still love me and extend the same grace when I say, I'm sorry I let you down? But we have to understand that many people in our life have left the worshiping community because they're hurt, because they're let down. Or I'll say this, how many of you have felt that impulse to run when you get known? Here's what I mean. You had a moment in a small group, a neighborhood group, You've had a moment with someone in our community. You've had a sit down with a pastor. And you all of a sudden feel naked as the day you were born exposed. And here's where a lot of the hurt and the letting down comes in but maybe they they reciprocate and meet you with grace, but you've never been in that kind of relationship. You've never been in that kind of church. I like to be anonymous in the back. I like to go over here and do my thing and check in and check out. I like to go serve this way and do this. And like Pastor Kathy was reminding us, I like to be safe, thank you very much. But what happens when you make yourself known? You invite the community to reciprocate and says, hey, I mess up too, Community is a place where you ought to be known and you allow yourself to know others, to be present to others. It's hard, but it forms us. It forms us and it shapes us into the people that God has made us to be. And as we bring our attention back to the first bit of the psalm, I think another reason a lot of people leave is straight up, it's boring. Sometimes it's boring to be in church. It's boring to listen to me. It's boring to sing sometimes some of the songs we sing a lot. It's boring to get up and go do this again, and it's time for this again. Sometimes we can get bored, and I would say, let us have a reminder. Look at the first bit of Psalm. Come, which, by the way, the very first word of this Psalm, 95, verse 1, another way that English just can't get at it, that is the command for walk That is, move it. Get up. It's time to meet God. And let's shout aloud. That's another way where it's a rowdy party. How many times have you seen a rowdy party erupt in church? I did in this gym New Year's Eve in this church. This is a perk of meeting on a Saturday night when it's New Year's Eve. I spent four hours that week not preparing a message, but preparing a playlist, going through every song of Motown and Prince to Bruno Mars and making sure there was no curse words or anything clear. We are in a church that can party. But what about the party when we gather together on a usual Saturday to meet God? And that's what we see in verse 2, let us come before Him. It literally means to meet His face. How many times do you get up and finish what you're doing on Saturday morning and Saturday at lunch, and you say, Guys, get up. We got to get moving. We got to go meet the face of God. But here's something that's fun when you show up, you can't see God, but you might see us. So the question on your handout then is this Why do we gather? Why do we do this week in and week out? If we're opening ourselves to be known, to be let down, to be hurt, why do we gather Wednesday, Saturday, in between, all the kind of life stuff together? Why do we gather as a community on your handout? To meet God and to meet others. God has pleased to reveal himself in the midst of his people, which brings me to that second bullet point, to meet God with others in community and then to watch. You ready? You ready? to meet God in others. In Russia, when Kara and Robert and I went, one of the things that Kara was so taken by was this phrase from a group of Russian monks who lived their lives together. Raman told us that what they say in Russian every time they see is what? Jesus among us. That's the call and response. Jesus among us, he is and always will be. Doesn't the Wiley West Community Neighborhood Group say this? It's a way of remembering that Christ is here in our midst. When you meet with God, you can actually meet with God when you meet with others. Yes, even over a kitchen table. Yes, even fixing stuff on Pastor Bud's house. You can see what it looks like. The very face of God, you are made in his image and when you stay in community, you begin to see that God is at work within us and you get little glimpses of the kingdom of God poking through and you see this is what it looks like. This was, must have been what it was like when Jesus knelt down and he was a king but he made himself one of us and he entered into our world. The word became flesh and he kneels down and he serves and he washes the feet. This is blowing my mind. I would have never expected that someone would serve me and love me and come alongside me in my grit and my mess and my junk but you get little glimpses of who God is in the face of even little old us. So this is why it should be a rowdy party. And then we say, well, why do we, how do we stick together together And help form one another. And that's on your handout too. What are some ways we're formed by the community? It's when we see those little glimpses in our face, we see the very face of God. I want you to write on your handout, 1 John 4, 7 to 6 probably 16. I'm shooting from the hip at least 4, 7 to 12, maybe 4, 7 to 16, because what he says is this, God is love. No one's ever seen God, but when you love your brother and sister, God's love is made complete in us, and God's love is revealed in us. Do you know that maybe perhaps, I'm just shooting from the hip again, perhaps God delights in letting his love be revealed to you by the love of others? Would you allow yourself to experience the love of this community and say, God, I think that's from you and thank you for it. Because I've been hurt, I've been betrayed, but you are forming something in me of trust, of faithfulness. And in this little community of trusting and faithful people, perhaps you begin to see that God himself is trustworthy and faithful. Are you here? Verse 6 you know what, I would just want to read these things. How are we formed by community? We need to remind each other of God's kingdom and his story of renewal. We've talked about this whole summer of tackling misconceptions of all the wrong narratives and stories we've got swimming in our heads. The world has no shortage of stories to tell you more, more, more. You're not good enough, so get this. You're not that. You're not this. Your head has all sorts of them. We remind each other and say you are good. You are beautiful. You are one in whom Christ dwells, and you are valuable to me and God and others in this community. Remind each other of that, will you please, this week? We benefit from each other's gifts, secondly. We benefit from each other's gifts God gave to build up others. You know that God gives you things so you can give it away. It's cool to play Nintendo by yourself, but it's really fun when you play with others. God has given you these things not so that you could be puffed up, but that others would be built up. That's how we're formed. Thirdly, we give each other the training ground, the greenhouse, the fertile soil to live out the relational ethics of the kingdom. I want to do a study someday, if you give me another month off of preaching, I want to do a study looking through the entire New Testament and try to tease out all the verses about here's how you love God, and I want to put them in one column, and then I want to tease out all the verses that say here's how you love others in the other column because my working hypothesis right now is that there will be more in column two of how to love others than there is about how to love God. Why? Because of 1 John 4, 7. You know God? Okay, then you must love your neighbor. Oh, you love God? You must love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, then that shows me that you love God. Well, how do I love God? Love your neighbor. It's this two sides of the same coin and we give ourselves the training ground when he says Paul says bear with one another and forgive one another you can't go forgive somebody in a cabin in the wilderness by yourself unless you have mental problems and your other personality has really blown it and you need to forgive that person Paul says forgive him please no we are a relational people in a relational other centered faith How do you bear with, forgive, encourage, exhort all the one another's of the New Testament without others? This is how we form one another. So stick with this community because you will become who God made you to be because we will let you down and then we will give you opportunities to offer forgiveness and you'll look more like Jesus. Fourthly, how we're formed by community. We celebrate transformation together. Kathy reminded me of this last night. She says, you know, it's just a beautiful thing when we get to celebrate a Hannah Vaughn leading us in song, when we get to celebrate the steps we get to witness our people taking, when they learn to love more and more like Jesus. We celebrate transformation, but we also grieve and cry. We've done a lot of grieving and crying as a community. And we can't fix it, but we can be present. We just live life together. It forms us into who God wants us to to be. Worship, this psalm, reminds us it's not just about you, it's about an us. Okay, so why worship? We've been talking a lot about the us, but how about God? Well, look at verse 3. You want to know why we worship, why you need to get together and have this rowdy party and move it and meet his face? Read verses 3 through 5. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods, One of the things that will help you understand a lot of these weird passages in the Old Testament, every tribe, every community had their God. Okay? Israel, God's people, were tempted time and time again to go and run after this other neighbor's God. This is what the entirety of the Old Testament is about. Because they could see their neighbor's God. They couldn't see their God. When they wanted to see their God, they looked around at a bunch of them, and they weren't very pretty sometimes. But the psalmist reminds us that this God, our God, is above all the pretenders. They had in their image this council of all the gods that they went to some retreat and meeting and summit, and here's this tribe's God and this tribe's God and this tribe's God. Israel resoundingly said, Our God is over all of your gods. And here's why. Look at verses four and five. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. Stem to stern, top to bottom, head to toe. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Israel, another thing to help you understand your Old Testament. Israel understood that the reason God is above all is because he made it all. So here's what you need to take away, and here's how you make it real to you tonight, non-Israel people. God is bigger than the other stories and narratives and the pretenders that say, I want to wreck and ruin and rule your life. God says, no, no, that's for me. And I won't wreck it. I won't ruin it. I will show you love and life and transformation if you would just surrender to me, your king. He's over all the pretenders in your life. And the second thing you need to walk away with, he's over all the chaos in your life. When you read the Old Testament, especially Psalms and uh, the wisdom books, when you look at Jonah, when you look at Job, when you look at, uh, at these, the, the prophets, they feared, as you might expect, storms. They feared the sea. They feared all the things that threatened to kill him. So they reminded themselves that God's over it. Think about Genesis 1. Where was God hovering when we first meet him? Over the what? The waters. Know this, whatever chaos is in your life, God not only, we see in Genesis 1, hovers over your chaos, we see in John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He enters into your chaos. When Jesus meets his disciples freaking out and losing their minds on the boat in the storm on the sea, they're looking up and saying, God, 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 and Jesus walks up and says, I'm right here. Other times, he's in the boat. He's in the chaos. Would you remember that he's in the chaos? This reminds us. Then verse 6, you see this repetition. Bow, come bow and worship Is bow. Let us kneel and bow. So we go from rowdy party, look at the movement of the poem, to bowing. And here's why, verse 7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. In Israel's day, a shepherd was a metaphor for king. Someone tell me, what did a shepherd do? What? Tend sheep? What do you mean by tend? Care for them. What else? Feed them. Lead them. Keep them from harm. Show them where it is they need to go. This is what's going on here. And then you can just imagine with me for a minute, a rowdy party like we've had, Reminding us of our God and our story and the usness of all this mess. And they've now calmed themselves down by verses 6 and 7. Do you see this with me? And they're bowing down and they're saying, oh yeah, this is why we do it. This is why we get together. He's big. There's something huge going on here. What is he going to say? What is he going to say in our midst? We're here. You can feel the hush of the crowd. They've run up to the temple. They're amped and they bow. Have you ever used your body to express something about worship? Have you been in places where you just are, it's just something compels you to get on the ground and you're like, I am so done? How about have you sat in silence in a chair? In all the hustle and bustle of your day, would you make five minutes? And what would it look like for you to sit with their hands in your lap with your palms open? How could you use your body? God, my palms are open, and I want to receive what it is you have for me. Am I talking about magic? No. I'm talking about trying to love the Lord with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your body. I've had a beautiful experience in my life, to have many different environments of worship. When I think about the first two verses of this psalm, I think about times where I have lost my ever-loving mind and I've danced like a maniac in an arena with some rock and roll worship circus atmosphere happening. Do you know that around Easter there is one song, and don't ask me, I'm not going to tell you, There is one song that gets me going and I will blare my house and shake it to its core and I will close the door to my office so my sweet wife and sweet girls don't see me and I will jump and scream and headbang and play my electric guitar and sound terrible because sometimes I just need to party for God. But like Hannah who led us tonight, I also had an opportunity when I was her age to begin to lead a community in worship. And I had heard something of how Chinese people in secret churches 25, 30, 40 years ago would gather together as God's people in 12s and 20s because you can't really have a huge church service like we like to in America with mega churches when the state is cracking down and saying, no, you can't gather in the name of Jesus. So imagine the Chinese secret churches with house-churched, untrained pastors who do crazy things like, I don't know, pray and then God raises people from the dead. So people just start to get word and they come. And so when they come and they gather, they want to sing the Psalms. They want to gather together. And they probably looked a lot like we see in verse 6 and verse 7. And they have this keen sense that even little old us, we are, in fact, the people of His care. And you know how they sang and worshipped? They didn't plug in and have an electric bass and keyboard and guitars and drums. You know what they do? They whisper the ancient songs of the faith. They whisper the doxology together. They whisper together in hushed tones so their neighbors won't hear. And do you think God hears it? What would it look like to use your bodies? I'm so grateful for Sid and Kathy and Robin were bringing me along last year in Africa. One of the things I will never forget and the sweetest moments of worship were actually when I didn't speak at all. It's when I sat in an open air, pitch dark 7.30 p.m. just before bed moment with all these 56 orphans and their house mothers gathered together by candlelight and little Ruth singing songs. Remember me, O oh Lord. Remember me, O my Lord, and the entire community joining their voices with them. I didn't say one word because I couldn't. What more could I add? Because we can gather, we can bow. What are some of the different expressions of worship you've experienced? As we round down to the end, we can't lose the second half. Go back with me to the worshiping community, gathered together, knelt down. What is he going to say? Today, if you would only hear his voice, automatically, when they hear the word hear, they think of a very familiar passage to us. Write down Deuteronomy 6, 4. That word hear is actually used in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 6 as well, but you'll remember it. You know it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one and you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. They're familiar, they're tuned in now. Okay, we got this idea of hear. And when they hear, they're thinking of this. It ain't just about listening. It's what we say to our daughters all the time. Listen and obey. Oh my goodness, if you lived in our house, you would be so tired of hearing this. Listen and obey. It ain't enough to hear But it's enough to love the Lord your God with all your hearts. Put feet in action to it. Listen and obey. So now they're really zoning in. And they're probably shocked when they hear verse 8. Don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. As you did at the day at at Massa. Those words, Massa means test. Meribah means quarrel. Write down Exodus 17. In the ballpark of Exodus 17, these people had just come from a rowdy party of God, delivering them from Egyptians in slavery, and they immediately do what we all do when it's hot in August in Texas. And they say, oh my gosh, I'm thirsty. This stinks. And they fought and tested and quarreled, and they asked the question, is the Lord actually with us or not? They needed reminding that this God still acted, right? The psalm reminds us in verse 9, they had just seen what I did. And then he says this surprising and shocking reminder right down over verse 10 and 11, Numbers 14. We forget and we want to go our own way, right? Right? They were a people whose hearts go astray and they've not known my ways, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The reason you wrote down Numbers fourteen, and stay with me because we got like three minutes left. Of course, don't quote me on it. We won't have three minutes. Here's what I want you to hear about Numbers fourteen. God forgave them, but they still had consequences because when we go it alone, we learn too late, too many times, what it looks like when we leave God and his community of people. We see what it looks like to recall an old preacher's story of when you gather together all the coals that are burning hot in someone's fireplace when the preacher met with the man who has refused to belong to the worshiping community. And then he puts one hot coal out of the fire, and he sets it on the ledge, and you watch it wither. And this week, for some reason, John 15, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I think the you is a y'all. We are all the branches, and to fully live the life is to live it in community. So worship Taking these two halves together reminds us we've got to listen and obey. And it reminds us that we're to worship with gladness, but also walk together in obedience. It's not enough to come and go to church and, oh, this is great and fun. Not enough to come on Wednesdays and have fun and yucks and, oh, this is great. If it's not seeping down and if we're not following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood, then what are we doing It reminds us, not just to worship, but to walk. And then as we close, let's go back to that worshiping community, their ears ringing with a history lesson, and they're bowed down, and there is no resolution to this psalm. I printed it out in your handout, but if you looked in your Bible, it ends. They shall never enter my rest. What God meant for them was they never made it to the promised land. The people that grumbled, the people that walked and wandered for 40 years, not even Moses made it. In Numbers 14, he says, Caleb made it because he trusted me and he didn't go his own way. It reminds us how serious it is in God's kingdom to do this together. And the rest, of course, reminds us that when we make it to kingdom come and when God does renew all things, He's going to renew it with all the other people that we never thought would be there. Because God delights. He delights, He delights, He delights in inviting so, so many to the kingdom party. Because we are formed from community. We are formed for community. And we are formed by community. So there's no resolution in this psalm but there is an invitation. And we close with this. Will we be a community formed by God and each other for God's mission for the world? We can't do it alone, and God Himself didn't choose to do it alone. He wants to use us. So today, to use the words of that psalm, will you hear His voice? Will you lean into this community? Will you lean into some community? If it's not here, what, what, what doesn't bum me out is when people leave our church. It does a little bit, obviously. But what bums me out is when they leave our church and they don't belong to any church. It breaks my heart. I've blessed so many people who've gone because I know that they would be formed better in another community in this season of their life. I'm not about building an empire in a church. I'm about following Jesus with who we have for this season. And sometimes people who need to go and who need to be fully formed need to find a new place and a new community and a new family for a new season. But if you would listen to his voice and look at the questions going forward at the bottom of your handout, if you would lean in and if you would listen, perhaps he's saying, you know, I think it's time for you to really be known. I think it's time for you to know. What would it look like for you to be seen? Let me tell you, as a pastor, I am so encouraged and so grateful every time I hear stories of you guys doing things that I have no idea about. My favorite thing in the world is to hear, oh my goodness, that happened? Y'all did that? I, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't need me? There must be God at work in this. It doesn't need me. It doesn't need the pastors. It needs you because you have the Holy Spirit and we're no better. We just have a different role. It encourages me when you reach out to help or when you reach out for help. You are not alone, and God is not done. So will you hear His voice to lean into a community and then finally to be a visible witness as a community in our neighborhood? I love this book Embrace, and I'm going to close with his quote. When we are a community, this is not his quote yet, we're giving a visible witness to God's kingdom community where God can't be seen, our community can. So I think about this question. When we're tempted to go it alone and tempted to run away, Leroy Barber asks this on page 117 of his book. Are our challenging neighborhoods and hard cities, or let me add hard families, communities, churches, are our challenging neighborhoods and hard cities better because of the Christian presence in them because of our presence in them. Would we be a community formed by God and each other for God's mission in our world? May we not go alone. May we go together in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you remain standing as we receive our benediction? brothers rejoice and aim for restoration comfort one another agree with one another live in peace and the god of love and peace will be with you go in peace